Thank you, ladies, so much. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to the book of John, chapter 3. My heart was stirred by the words of that song. Are we having any impact on the world around us at all? I was, I was challenged this morning in growth group. And there are neighbors around me that I don't know. Gratefully, I know some of them. Praise the Lord, know some. Some I don't know. Are they polytheistic like we talked about this morning? I, I don't know. I haven't touched them. I shared with you earlier and uh, previously uh, some of the things I learned about the Gospel of John. John outlived the other apostles significantly. He outlived Paul. So in his late years, he wrote this gospel, having watched the church multiply incredibly. And in his days, it had grown primarily into a Gentile church. Oh, many, many Jews, of course, but, but uh, Paul's missionary journeys were outreaching um, Gentile areas, and so many churches had sprung up. And so John had seen the, the, uh, the uh, explosion of the church. He had seen the attacks on the church. Even in John's gospel, there are many refutations of false doctrines, we see. His gospels are, or epistles of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John um, as well, trying to, trying to address some of these false doctrines that were popping up already. But one of the most incredible things that I learned was that John had a heartbeat to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that the Gentile mind could understand, could grasp, could connect with. So much of the teaching in Matthew, and even spilling over into Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, were, were based upon Jewish concepts. I mean, the, much of the terminology was, was very Jewish. And these Gentiles had no conception at all about what they were talking about when we'd speak of the different feasts or, or different connections there. But I'm sure John spent much time in prayer asking for wisdom. And God enabled John uniquely to penetrate through that, 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 that what seemingly to, them, to him was, was, was confusion and he, he did away with all that, and, and we came out with verses like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. <laughs> there it is. I don't have to know about Judaism to know that God loved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God had a son. And he allowed that son to come, and well, I heard the story about Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again three days later. So in that, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't have to know all about Judaism to have that simple truth given to me. He simplified it in a way that the richness of the gospel comes clearly to me a Gentile. But what I found really fascinating in today's study is the man to whom 
he addressed this simple truth was a Jewish leader. <laughs> Let me read for you just a couple of verses. We'll pray and then we'll get into this morning's message. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I've entitled this morning's message, Nicodemus, get born again. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, your blessing, and thank you for this amazing story in John's gospel. Spirit of God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their personal Savior, may they understand the simple truth of salvation, and may they trust it this morning. For all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, stir us this morning, I pray, to love you more, to serve you more. For we love you in Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, these first two verses, we learn that at nighttime, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus. He came to Jesus with questions, but what's interesting, he never asked a question before Jesus answered him. <laughs> So he came to Jesus by night. Now, suggested here is that he did not want to be associated with Jesus. He wanted anybody to see him because here he is, a religious ruler, and all the Pharisees had already turned on him. They did not believe in him. They had chosen to disbelieve. But something about him caught the attention of this Nicodemus. He wanted to know, and so perhaps because he didn't want to be associated Perhaps because of the reason all day long, both of these men were, were, were surrounded by people. And perhaps because Nicodemus wanted some quiet time where he just himself and Jesus could discuss this. The Jewish mindset was so much in a debate format. They would get together and just, just go back and forth and back and forth. Wherever there was more than two people, there was a debate going on. The Jews just loved to debate. Well, Nicodemus didn't want to get involved in a debate. He wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth. So perhaps just because he wanted the full attention of Jesus, he came at night. But one thing is for certain. Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. He was drawn to him. Why? Well, first of all, because of his teaching. We see here, and he says, And said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. He was drawn because of his teaching. That had drawn him in. He was drawn because, secondly, of his miracles. Who was performing miracles like this? Jesus. He was drawn because of a curiosity that, is there any way in the world this could be the promised Messiah? Now, my Pharisee friends are all saying, no, they're denying it, but an astute student of the Word of God, which these Pharisees were, would know the exact time and place prophesied for the Messiah. Books like Daniel and Micah had told the timing of the coming Messiah had told the location of the Messiah. They had known this. And Jesus arrived at the very predicted moment. Perhaps because this might be contrary 
to what my peers say, this might be the Messiah. Lastly, because the Father drew him. The Father drew him. John 6.37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I like that. Anyone who comes to Jesus is welcome. Y'all come. I want you to come to me. Anyone who comes to Jesus, he says. By the way, there have been some I've talked to in the past that have said, I can't come to Jesus and trust him because my sins have been too much. There's no way I can be forgiven. Well, here he says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6, says, no man, that, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. I will raise him up at the last day. Well, so that's why I say the Father drew him. I believe the Father drew him. One commentary writes, salvation is never achieved apart from the drawing power of God. It is never consummated apart from the willingness of humans to hear and learn from God. To choose one or the other will ultimately end in unbalanced, unbiblical theology. God draws, man responds. The church as a whole is chosen or elected by God as the bride for His Son. That body will in fact come to Christ. Of course, the entrance to the body is by faith. Whosoever will may come. One key to understanding the principle of election is to view the elect as the collective whole rather than on focusing on individuals. That body of believers, the church, which God has given to Christ, indeed shall come to Him. Eventually, eventually, John 12, 32 says, the cross will draw all men to Him. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. Here's some ways that God draws. I love living in Colorado for many reasons, but not the least of which, I love the big sky here. I love it. I come from the Midwest where, let's see, March, we will see, we will see sunshine, let me think, in, in June the Midwest back there. I love the fact that at nighttime you can go out and you get away from the lights and you can look up and just a vibrant sky. It comes alive. It's glorious. I love that. Well, I know the Creator. I know the one who spoke those stars into existence. I know Him. My, my sister was visiting uh, uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, some night this week, and, and, uh, and went out and it was, it was dark time when they got in their car. Looked up and says, there's two planets. There's two planets. I know the one who put them there. <laughs> and you know, those planets, the time they arrive, those stars, those constellations, they're fixed. Who keeps them in their place? I know. God did. God does. And here, one way that God draws us is through His creation. Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor knowledge where their voice is not heard. God splattered his message in the skies. There is a God. There is a God, hallelujah. And he draws man by man looking into the skies. He draws man because of his goodness. In Romans 2, 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I was drawn to God because of his goodness. I don't deserve to be saved. On a regular basis, I go before the Lord and say, God, thank you. Thank you for saving me, but I don't deserve this. God, you know more about me than I do. You know I don't deserve it. Thank you for your mercy. Whosoever will, the vilest sinner that comes to Christ can find his sins forgiven, his goodness. What, how does God draw us? Well, he draws through creation. He draws through his goodness. He draws through compassion. In Matthew 15 and verse 30, and great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. Insomuch the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. He healed them, every one of them. How many of us would find every way possible to avoid being in an uncomfortable setting like that? And we've got important things to do. We've got schedules to keep. There's things we have to accomplish. All, all, these, all these sick people, my goodness, I've got more important things to do. And Jesus revealed to us his heart. There's no more important thing than dealing with people and meeting the needs of people. His compassion in Jude 1.22, and of some have compassion, making a difference. As believers show the lost true compassion, God is trying to draw them to himself. As we minister to the lost, as we help meet their needs, as we encourage them, and we put our arm around them and saying, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. Let me see what I can do to help you. That's working in their heart. Notice, and they glorified God. As they saw the working of God through Jesus, they glorified God. And that's the ultimate reason why we should be compassionate to others, that they might glorify God with him drawing them to himself. And we see an unexpected conversation. Jesus, in this conversation, offered an exclusive offer. An exclusive offer. He said, you must have a new birth. Notice chapter 3, John, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in that brief passage, the word born is used. Born. Do you think possibly Jesus is trying to get across a message? <laughs> you must be born again. Jesus declared that heaven is only accessible by two births, a physical one and a spiritual one of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that, here it comes again, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. As the wind is only discernible by its effects, which we felt yesterday. My car felt it driving on the highway. I didn't see it. I couldn't see the wind. Oh, I saw the effects of it. I saw a dust cloud in the sky. What I saw was not wind. I saw the effects of wind. It's a tumbleweed. I don't like tumbleweeds hitting my car. There's just something unsettling about being slapped on the side of the car with a blowing tumbleweed. But the tumbleweed was not wind. The tumbleweed was showing the effect of wind. So being born again of the Spirit is not something you can see, touch, feel. Its effects can only be discerned through a transformed life in Christ. The new birth can only be accomplished by spiritual means. First of all, the Spirit of God's got to be involved. John chapter 3, verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's your two births. That which is born of the flesh, just ask me, I'll show you. I've got pictures of my grandson. I'm so pleased and, 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 and proud as punch. I've got the world's cutest grandson. It's incredible. I'm so pleased. My daughter Katie is still healing up from that ordeal. Bless her heart. That was a natural birth. My grandson is, is, is very, very smart. But not smart enough to understand all the, all the, the that goes into salvation. He's not there yet. You can only quote part of the scripture. You can't quote it all yet. The Spirit of God must be born of the flesh, like my grandson, and must be born of the Spirit. So the new birth can only be accomplished by spiritual means. The Spirit of God's involved. The Word of God must be involved. In John 6, 63, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, or makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. Notice he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Jesus said, the words that I speak, Jesus' words, the word of Jesus, God's words, are life, their spirit. And God's word leads to the new birth in 1 Peter 1.23. He says, being born again, so that's the same, it's the same topic, 
that John just gave, being born of it, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Well, here, Peter says the same thing. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. Being born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. James echoes this in James 1.18, of his own will, begat he us with the word of God that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, Nicodemus is having a hard time grasping this. Nicodemus was a very smart, intellectual man. He was a ruler, a leader of the Jews. Here's his response. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus challenged him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? <laughs> verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. I think Jesus poked at him a little bit, pushed him a little bit, telling him that he had heard the witness of Jesus and his disciples. And yet, up until now, he had not believed it. So Jesus gave some clarification. So the first part there of John chapter 3, we see the verses talking about the new birth. Ye must be born again. And a significant passage of John 3 saying, ye must be born again. All right, so Nicodemus now, his mind is spinning. All right, physical birth, I understand that. Spiritual birth, okay. I'm beginning to comprehend the concept i got a spiritual birth, but how in the world? How in the world? Spiritual birth. I understand the, the, the physical birth. I don't know if Jesus had to hold himself from laughing at him when he said, how can I go back into my mother's womb? Um, but notice what he says here in verse 12. Jesus said, if I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come, came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, on earth is his humanity, while also in heaven is God. At the same time, Jesus was all man. Jesus was all God. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And of course, Nicodemus understood this illustration, which we'll come to in a minute. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Did you catch the theme word there? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times Jesus used the word believe or believeth. Believe, believe, believe. You've got to believe. So he talks about the new birth. And he said you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus in his mind is questioning, how can I be born again? Jesus said, that's a good question. Let me answer that for you right now. You've got to believe. 
<laughs> Can't you just see his mind going back and forth in the world? I could be born again, born of the Spirit. How? Jesus answered, got to believe. Got to believe. That which accesses the power of the new birth in Christ is simple belief in Jesus. Then he gives an illustration. Now, yes, this illustration would be known by any Jew, certainly a, a leader of the Jews. They would immediately pick up on this. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, is the account. Let me read it very quickly. And the people spake against God and against Moses. The Israelites were in the wilderness, being led by Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Notice, they're complaining. They're complaining. God's providing for them manna, and they're complaining. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why? We're complaining. Notice verse number 6, how God feels about complaining. And the Lord sent fiery serpents, or poisonous serpents, among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So Moses, take and make out of brass the image of a serpent and attach it to a pole. Lift the pole up so it can be seen from a distance. And anyone that looks at that can live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked at the serpent of brass, he lived. He lived. Look to the serpent and live. You're, you're bitten by a poisonous snake? Here's the antidote. Just look at that serpent over there. Just, just look. Oh, I'm healed. What did you do to be healed? I looked. What'd you pay for that? Nothing. I just, I just looked. What words did you say? I just looked. People were dying because of their sin. They were complaining against God. And God told Moses to erect this fiery or brass serpent lifted upon a pole. Anyone bitten by the poisonous serpents who will simply look to the brass serpent will be healed. The antidote to the poisonous snake bite? Look. They were saved by looking and there was no qualifying their look. Well, you didn't look well enough. You didn't look long enough. You didn't squint when you looked. You didn't cover one eye when you looked. No, just look, look. The emphasis is not on how you did it. The emphasis is, did you simply do it? Here, notice. It wasn't as if they looked a certain amount of time or if they assumed a certain posture. You didn't kneel down when you looked. You weren't lying in bed when you looked. You weren't looking up. You weren't looking east when you looked. No, you just look. 
You just look at the serpent. You just obey and do what I told you to do. I said, look at the serpent. They had only to look. The spiritual new birth is a simple look by faith to the finished work of Christ on the cross as your only hope for heaven. Sin's poisonous bite is healed by looking to Christ. Sin is the problem. Christ is the solution to that problem. Wearsby says, faith in Christ is the only means of salvation. God's command to Moses in number 21 was not that he kill the snakes, make a salve for the wounds, or try to protect the Jews from being bitten. A person is born again when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to produce faith and impart the new nature when the person believes. So why in the world would anyone refuse the new birth? Okay, back in Moses' day, when somebody gets bitten, why in the world? They all know the antidote. Why in the world would anyone not simply look? That's the answer. Just look. Why in the world would they not look? And the only solution that I can come up with is they refuse to believe. Just didn't believe it would work. Oh, poor me. I got bitten. I'm going to die. We'll look to the snake. Oh, that won't work. But Harry did it. He got saved. He, he, he gets, he's living. That's Harry. I'm, I'm not going to look. Unbelief. Unbelief. So why do men refuse the new birth? Well, we're told here in our passage, our text, in chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. And, of course, we know Jesus is the light that came into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in Christ. So, the light of Christ exposes man's sinful deeds. <laughs> One of the things that is, is uh, discouraging my wife from visiting South Carolina in the summertime are the insects. Now, we have not been too exposed to the insects down there, but I will tell you this, when in October, I think it was, when we moved the kids down to South Carolina, I had the privilege of seeing and riding a cockroach. It was, it was phenomenally large. I'd never seen one like that before in my life, and I didn't realize how loud of a crunch they could make when you step on them. And, and they don't just immediately crunch because they try to support your weight for a while before they, go, before they finally go down. Uh, insects down there. Um, those insects don't like light. When the light goes on, and they go scurrying. They just phew, immediately. When evil men, when men doing evil deeds, are exposed to the light, they go scurrying well. They don't like it. Why? Because their deeds are evil. That's why. Man's response was to hate Christ. But, but how foolish. He's the solution. Hate him. Why? Because he makes me feel bad. So the Jews not only hated him, they crucified him. Only when man responds 
to the light? Will he find the help of the power of God? In John 1, 9, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Was Jesus' light selective? Did Jesus' light only shine on certain people? Well, Herod says he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Notice Romans 1.20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power and Godhead, clearly seen, so that they are without excuse. Without excuse. Why? Because he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself. He's drawing all the light of Jesus has fallen, shine upon all men. They're without excuse. In some way, the truth of Christ has touched every man. The truths of God's eternal power and Godhead are understood by all men, leaving them with no excuse before God. Secondly, second reason I believe they don't respond to Christ is because they don't really know Him. Notice in John chapter 1, and verse 9, I read it for you. It reads, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Though Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies for the coming of the Messiah, He didn't come in the way that they had imagined. They thought He was going to come, their Messiah was going to be their deliverer, and their minds, that meant being delivered from this Roman oppression. We are sick and tired of being what to, told what to do by the Romans. Oh, that the Messiah will come and will become our king and will lead us in dominion over these Romans. Can't wait to be rubbing this in their noses. Well, that's not the Jesus that came the first time. He was meek. He was more interested in their heart's condition than their political condition. And because he disappointed them, did not come the means in which they expected, they refused to believe that he was indeed the Messiah. They didn't know him. Once they faced that disappointment, they became highly suspicious of anything he did, eventually growing in sinful envy over his success. We see in John 19, verses 39 and 40, a follow-up story to the story of Nicodemus in chapter 3. Did Nicodemus actually get saved? Did he come to Christ? John 3 doesn't tell us this. John chapter 19 does not tell us specifically, but it gives us just a little hint of the possibility that he did, in fact, trust Christ. Let me read it for you, John 19, 39 and 40. And there came also Nicodemus, when Jesus has been crucified. His body is now hung on the cross. He's dead. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. This is a very expensive thing that he brought. Then took they the body of Jesus off the cross and wound it in linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So between the evening that Nicodemus came by night 
to Jesus, hearing of the new birth, and now the death of Jesus. Between that time, Nicodemus must have made a personal decision to trust in him, causing him now to be willing to be identified with Christ. So like Nicodemus, in spite of the antagonistic environment, there were some who chose to trust in Christ, receiving his message. John chapter 3, verse 12, But as many as received him, suggesting there were numbers that did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What was the condition of becoming a son of God? It was believing on him. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. Nicodemus, be born again. How? By belief. You've got to believe. So Jesus' message to Nicodemus was simply put. Nicodemus, to go to heaven, you've got to be born again spiritually. And that spiritual birth is accomplished by believing on Jesus. It is receiving Him to save from sin and death. You've got to believe. 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 Oh, Pastor Outler, I believe. I believe on Jesus, and I believe that you've got to be baptized as well to go to heaven. Now, wait a minute. Where do you find that in John chapter 3? Because just, just say, just say for a moment, just say for a moment. You say, I'm going to believe on Jesus and I'm going to believe on baptism. Then what are you really believing on? Meaning if you pull one of those away, you're no longer believing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is exclusive, which is why the world hates it when we talk about Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? You can talk about any God out there, and oh, they'll hail you. They'll hold you up as intellectual, and oh, you are so inclusive. Jesus wasn't. He was exclusive. There is only one way. And that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus, a very smart man up here, but a very blind man in here. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the water, a natural birth, and you must be born of the Spirit. And let me tell you how. You've got to believe. You know, you know those words I've been talking about out there on the countryside? You've got to believe. You know the prophecy in the Old Testament of when the Messiah was going to be born and where? You've got to believe. You've got to believe that I am the fulfillment of those prophecies. I am indeed the prophesied Messiah that has come to be your deliverer. Nicodemus, I came to seek and to save the lost. I have met some of the most incredibly sincere people. So good, so moral. And I asked them about their, their confidence of knowing for sure they're going to heaven. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. Well, tell me more about it. And they'd go on to tell me about God would never send me to hell. I've never done anything that bad. Can you imagine if Nicodemus would have said that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, yes, you have. Okay, Pastor, I do believe, I do believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and in being a good person. So what are you believing in? Well, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus and me. That's not how it works. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must believe in Jesus. So I have to ask you this morning before I end the prayer, where is your faith? God forbid, God forbid, but if you died on the way home from church today, do you know 100% for sure you'd be in heaven? Is your belief exclusively on the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to Jesus and confessed that you are a sinner incapable of going to heaven on your own? Have you ever come to him and confessed that? and then trusted in Him and Him alone to forgive you and to save you? If not, you've never experienced the new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus he had to have. It comes by believing. And though I have stretched it out over numbers of minutes this morning, the truth is so simple. Which young child could not understand that Jesus loves them? Loves them. Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know that? For the Bible tells me so. We've got some incredibly smart theologians. Oh, they know Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins. And it has thrilled my heart to have young people come to me say they have been saved when they get baptized. I started inquiring, asking them all the questions, all these theological questions, and they know the answers. They know the answers. They have come to a recognition that they're sinners, incapable of going to heaven, and they trusted in Jesus. And Jesus, They believed it's not their good works, it's His good work. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. So how is it with your soul this morning? If you die tonight, you know for sure you go to heaven. Number two, with the knowledge that in order to go to heaven, you've got to be born again, and that being born again is simply by believing. And the gospel is so beautifully put together in John 3.16. Are you hiding that? Are you hiding it so nobody can see it? That incredible... Life-changing truth that can change somebody's eternal destination? Are you keeping it to yourself? Or are you sharing with others? It really broke my heart yesterday. Pastor Vanderhart and I were out door knocking. It was nice enough. It hadn't been weeks. It's been weeks since it was nice enough. We were out door knocking yesterday. A young man came to the door. We caught him. Actually, he came around the back. And we introduced ourselves. He said, he said, I'm an atheist. And so we tried to give him a gospel tract. He said, I'll just throw it away anyway. 
And we walked away. We finished the, the doors on that, house, on that block, and we were finishing up, and we had to come back to his house once again. I happened to see him working in the garage. I couldn't take it. I walked over and asked him one more time. I said, hey, listen, listen, I, uh, I know you said you're an atheist. And there's, there's undoubtedly a story behind that, and I'd love to hear that. And he said, I'm, I'm busy right now. I said, would you care if I came by sometime and just talk and hear? He said, I'm really not interested in... I prayed for him all the way walking back in the car. I prayed for him. That God will soften his heart. God will soften his heart. That he will be one of the ones that look up and said, you know what, that guy may be on the right track. There's got to be a God. Most of the atheists I've talked about have come to that conclusion because of a hurt. Some hurt. I was in an airplane one time sitting next to a fellow, we struck up a conversation. He told me he was an atheist. That's an interesting conversation we had. Not just an atheist, but he was a militant atheist. He was going to Washington to try to establish uh, some le legislation in favor of atheism. We had quite the conversation. I grew up in a Baptist church, he said. He went on to tell me about the hurt he experienced in the church. And the hurt was so great, he couldn't believe anymore. There's a world out there that needs to hear that Jesus loves them. They need to hear of the new birth. And they need to hear the simplicity of believing. You mean all I have to do is look? You got bit and you're going to die. Just look. We've got to tell them. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your incredible gift of mercy. We don't deserve your salvation. We don't deserve your death, burial, resurrection. But we are thrilled to be the recipients of it. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. After a message like this, where the gospel is, is so simple, I want to ask, do you know 100% for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Has your faith been in Jesus exclusively? If you don't know, I'd like to pray for you. If you don't want to hear this, say, Pastor, I don't know for sure, but I'd sure like to know what you pray for me this morning. Lift your hand so I can see. Nobody's looking around. Just lift your hand so I can see it. I won't call you out by name. I embarrass you. Anybody would say, Pastor, pray for me because I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want to know. Please pray for me. Anybody like that? All right, I'm, I'm assuming that the vast majority of you do know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. What are you doing with it? Oh, sure, you're enjoying being saved, but are you sharing it? Is there somebody this morning that God has laid on your heart? Somebody that needs to hear that Jesus loves them? Would you commit this morning to lovingly sharing with them the gospel? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you 
I thank you for giving us this time this morning that we could just explore this wonderful, wonderful truth. Thank you for giving us the plan of salvation in this succinct manner in John 3.16. Thank you for helping us, through Nicodemus' eyes, be exposed to the new birth. And Lord, help us, thank you for reminding us that that new birth comes by believing. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to aggressively share that truth with the lost. And we thank you for what you're going to do. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.